Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to spend the next several weeks just looking at the life and ministry, uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and all that he's done for us. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to the end there, and um, we'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll get to work. This is Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. It reads like this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now that you would help your people hear your voice, that by your spirit, through your word, Lord, you would be speaking over us, and you would be helping your church become all that you want her to be. We pray, God, that you would help us to hear about your ministry and your priorities, and that that would inform the things that we do as individual Christians and also as a church family. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we ask for your blessing on it, and we pray these things, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, three different features of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and these three words are very, very important to me personally. In fact, as we were launching the campus, these three words kind of predate the launch of our site. Uh, when we started doing our, our pre-launch meetings and we gathered together and we said, okay, what could this be? What could this look like and feel like? These three concepts really emerged and we said, this is, this is kind of our aspiration. This is what we hope to become. We hope to become a church community that has some of these features about it. And so let me share with you the three different features and then we'll look at them here in our text. They are mission, we want to be a church that's on mission. Care, we want to be a church that cares, that sees the needs of individuals and meets those needs. And finally, we want to be a church that is engaged in disciple making. And so let's get to work. First off, we find here this feature of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and it is the feature of mission. He is calling people to join him in mission. Um, we, I'll show it to you here in just a moment in our paragraph, but actually the whole portion of Matthew that we're dealing with uh, talks about this mission. Way back in chapter 4 of Matthew, he's writing, uh, he's, he's kind of sharing the, the story of Christ and he's presenting it in a way to kind of underline and amplify this reality that Jesus Christ has a mission and he's inviting his followers to be a part of it. So way back in chapter 4, when he calls the disciples, they're fishers, they're people who are vocationally, they're fishermen, they're people who go out into the Sea of Galilee and throw nets in the water and pull the nets up with a big haul of fish. And Jesus says to them in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you people who are vocationally changed. You're going to be radically reoriented and you're actually going to you know, you, you're accustomed to fishing for fish, but now I'm going to make you a, a team of people who go out on mission to try to reach those who are far from God. 
So he's calling his disciples to become ministers. He's enlisting them into this reality. As they become his followers, they simultaneously become people who have been co-opted into the mission of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 23, he outlines his ministry. Um, he, he kind of describes what he's going to be about. We'll see it again in our paragraph here. But in 4.23, we're told that he's going through all these towns and villages, and he's preaching, teaching, and healing. That's what he's up to. That's what Jesus is doing. And what we find then is that he is showing his disciples what he's about, and then he's going to send them to do the same. That's the paragraph that we're dealing with. He's showing us what he's about as a leader. He's saying, look, I'm going to make you guys fishers of men. You're going to be on my team, doing my work, my ministry. And then he spends some time kind of showing them, this is what it looks like. I'm going to preach, teach, and heal. I'm going to do these things. And then I'm going to deploy you in my name with my authority to do the same exact things. So in, verses, uh, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, he's preaching and teaching. It's a narrative of him kind of marching around all those towns and villages and preaching, and we get Matthew kind of telling the story of that ministry. And then in chapters 8 and 9, we see the healing ministry of Christ. He's, in those two chapters, he's physically meeting the needs of people who are ill. And then we have our paragraph at the end of 9, right before chapter 10, which is where he takes the disciples and he says, in my name, with my authority, I want you to go and do what I've done. I want you guys to be engaged in this mission. So what Jesus is doing here is he's underlining this reality. He has a mission in the world, and when he calls followers to himself, he's enlisting them to join in that mission. So let's look at it now in our paragraph in verses 36 and following. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus identifies this reality. He looks at humanity and he says, they are in need. If you look at people... One of the underlying spiritual realities is that they need assistance from God. And he looks at humanity then and he says, there's a need here. Here's what it is. There's, there are people who are harassed and helpless. There are these individuals who are like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, there's this harvest. He changes metaphors and he's going, there's this work to be done. Look at humanity. There's a, there's a work in front of us. There's this great harvest field. So what we need to be doing then is praying to the Lord of the harvest, praying that God himself would deploy workers into this mission field. And then what does he do? Takes that prayer and he says, okay, now that you've prayed that, you're going to be the answer to your own prayer. And in chapter 10, he sends them. Recognize there's a need here. Observe that it's a big work. Pray about it, but then be willing to be like Isaiah, who when God is, you know, Isaiah chapter 6, God says, whom shall I send? Isaiah says, here I am, God, send me. And that's what Jesus is doing today. He's got a mission. He's calling people. He's enlisting people, calling people to himself, and then enlisting them to be about his mission. Um, this is what I think it really means to be God's people. We, we, we use the terminology, it's from Leslie Newbegin, but he calls the church the missionary people of God. It's who we are. 
It's part of our identity. It means that every individual Christian is called to be on mission. And so um, what we have here then is this calling to mission. And uh, we've been using this terminology for a long, long time. We've said things like this. Uh, even in the pre-launch days, we, we would say, here's one of our aspirations. We want every member of our campus to be a minister. And we want every member to be on mission. We would use terminology like that. We're saying, look, if you're going to be a part of this thing, and I would, I would say this, and, and I would kind of joke, but I was being very strategic with my language, we're going to hijack your life. Like, we believe that what church is about is far more than a weekly gathering. And we believe that Christ has a mission, and if you're going to be a part of that, you know, what we're up to as a church family, it means that your life is getting hijacked. It means you can't just kind of distinguish your your Christianity as your Sunday morning thing. No, 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 it becomes all-encompassing. So we begin to think through, okay, what does it look like to enlist and equip and train and deploy every person who's a part of our church so that everything that you do now is kind of run through that grid of that missionary mentality. So um, when Ryan goes to work, he's thinking about the fact that that's his sphere of influence, the people that he works with, the, the, the teams that he's dealing with, the direct reports that he has, the uh, superiors who are above him, and all the people that he serves in, in his work, he's doing that all for the glory of God and all for the sake of the advancement, advancement of Christ's mission. Um, I was kind of running through some of our members who've, who've really bought into this idea. And, um, you know, as you just kind of think through, what does it look like? I mean, when you think about uh, Dan, Dan and Julie Ivanuk and, and the neighborhood that they live in and the friendships that they have and the business that he runs and all of that, they're trying to do on mission. So, you know, as Dan's running his business, it's for the, for the glory of Christ. When he's playing poker with the boys, it's for the sake of mission. All these things get co-opted into the mission of Jesus Christ. He's thinking about Bruce and Jane and their sphere of influence, the neighborhood that they live in, the places where they work, the people that they interact with, and they're doing life on mission. And on and on and on, we might illustrate this, but what we're saying is Jesus has a mission, and when he calls people to himself, he's enlisting them to join in that mission. So we as a church want to be all about this, and in fact, we've designed the strategy of our ministry around that, that we believe that the effective way to be enlisted in what Christ is up to is to think about church more than just an, an event, but to think of it really in terms of people doing life on mission. It's a philosophy of ministry to make that adjustment, to say, look, church isn't just a, a meeting, it's really a way of life. Um, so one of the books uh, that we use in our, in our setting is we use this book, is called The Trellis and the Vine. And it was published in 2009 by a couple different individuals. They co-wrote it, and they published it. And I would use this with the youth group, and I said to our, our leaders back then, look, this is kind of what we're aiming at. We want to be, you know, relational in the way that we do ministry. We want to be on mission. And, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of comes out in this book. And then last year, we got our ministry team leaders together from our site, and I said, okay, guys, I'm gifting you this book. So we got all of our ministry team leaders together, and we said, here's a book. If you read this, you'll begin to kind of understand the vibe and uh, the, the things that we're about at our site. And so we gifted this to them and said, check this out. Read this. Let's talk about it. We did this with some of our spiritual leaders in a leadership cohort. We did all kinds of stuff with this. David and I have 
more recently read this thing together, but I want to show you this fascinating portion of the book. It's actually the, the very last little bit of the book. Remember, it was published in 2009, but this is them thinking about this way of doing church and its implications, and they wrote this, and, and uh, it's, it's almost spooky to hear how they said this. They said, imagine, so this was during the time that uh, the swine flu pandemic was ramping up, but they, they wrote this, imagine that the pandemic swept through your part of the world and that all public assemblies of more than three people were banned by the government for reasons of public health and safety. And let's say that due to some catastrophic combination of local circumstances, this ban had to remain in place for 18 months. How would your congregation of 120 members continue to function with no regular church gatherings of any kind and no home groups except for groups of three or less? If you're the pastor, what would you do? This was 2009. They're writing that question, thinking through, if this were to happen, how would you function as a church? And they go on to outline some very specific ways that that philosophy of ministry could play out. But, he, but here's what, what I'm thinking through. We have adopted this way of thinking about church that actually situated us very well for this cultural moment that we've been through. Because we're not, we're not saying that, you know, as a church, we have to have these big, huge Sunday morning gatherings for us to exist as a church. We've been saying from the very onset of our existence as a campus that we want to enlist our people to be able to do ministry. And we want to equip and train our people so that we actually send them out week by week. And even if we're in some way limited from gathering together and having large local assemblies, we're still well-placed and well-situated to handle the moment. Now, I believe that's what we've been aiming at, and I'll be honest with you, it's an aspirational goal. Uh, we're not experiencing it in the way that we dream about, but we're aiming in that direction. There, there, I'm just being honest with you, there's resistance to it. To do church in this sort of way, uh, it's hard. And there's reluctance to do that. I mean, when I talk about hijacking your life, you, th you might say, I like my life. And I like church to be a part of it, but just a part. I don't like the thought of running everything through a missional grid. And honestly, gathering together is way more, it's, it's easier. It's more convenient. It's something that's manageable and predictable. But figuring out the messy life on mission stuff, that's challenging. We, we, de we designed our groups and our aim was to really have groups be a place where, where, you know, the mission was being multiplied. But honestly, doing group life in a traditional way, it's way easier. Let me just put it on my calendar and it's just a weekly meeting. And it's the people that I like. And, you know, the thought of multiplying and expanding, you know, leadership and groups and all those sorts of things, those, that's hard. So we kind of revert back to the ordinary way of life, the ordinary way of church. But Jesus here is reminding us that there is an incredible work, that there's an incredible need, and he's enlisting people to be a part of that. And as a church, as a people, we want to do life on mission. And so again, I'm praying that you would reconsider if you would be involved in this mission of Jesus Christ together with me that you would say, I will allow for my life to be a platform for the glory of God. I will think through how the, the glory of Christ can be manifest in the ordinary stuff of life. Started doing in, uh, interviews with people from our campus. We call it ordinary ambassadors. 
What does it look like to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in the ordinary stuff of life? And we're just thinking through that. What does it look like at you know, ground level to walk this stuff out? But Jesus has a mission, and he is inviting us into that mission. Secondly, a second feature, and they do overlap for sure, but a second feature is the feature of care. That not only does Christ have a mission, that mission is informed by his heart toward people. He looks at people and he cares for them. And so we want to be the kind of church where people are experiencing care and giving care to other people. First off, notice that it's comprehensive. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When Jesus is engaged in caring for people, it's comprehensive. He's going everywhere to all peoples and meeting all the needs that he possibly can. So we want to be the kind of people who follow suit, who say, you know what, if that's what he's about, we're not going to play favorites. We're not going to target influential people because that'd be advantageous for us. We're going to say whoever has a need, we want to be the kind of people who care for those individuals and will do what we can to meet those needs. Jesus is meeting physical needs. He's healing people here in verse 35. He's healing every disease and sickness. So he's looking at people who have things like leukemia and diabetes and uh, herniated discs and, and a, con- a spinal condition that causes headaches and pain and all these things. And he is meeting those physical needs. He's healing them by his power, in his authority. He's giving us a preview of coming attractions. We find out at the very end of the Bible that there's a day coming where the healing ministry of Jesus Christ will be on large display. He'll wipe away tears. There will be no more sickness or pain or death for the old order of things is going away. And here in this moment, he's bringing some of that reality into the present. And he's wielding his power and his authority to bring about healing. Now, the church has to engage in that sort of ministry. We have to believe that God is still at work meeting physical needs, healing people of physical ailments. And we have to be the kind of people who are willing to step in and pray in that direction. And and then if, if it's not God's will to heal somebody in that moment, we're the kind of people who care enough to just stick with it. And we, we, we maintain our consistency of wanting to love and serve and bless other people because we have the heart of Christ. And so let's be a caring church. Look at how he cares for these people as he looks on them in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a Without a shepherd, when he looks at people in their condition, in their spiritual condition, he has this interior response to it. He's moved to the depths with compassion. He looks at people and he just feels for them. He looks at them and he sees their desperate condition and he is moved by it. We want to be the kind of people who are that aware, that we look at the world and and we don't just kind of you know, write it off and and be dismissive of it, but we look at it and our heart breaks. And we have a longing for good for for people. Here, he's he's actually alluding to maybe my least favorite chapter in the Bible, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But he's looking at these people and he's saying, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. And he's alluding to Ezekiel chapter 34. 
Ezekiel chapter 34 is a place uh, in the scriptures where God is speaking by one of his prophets named Ezekiel, and he is critiquing the work of shepherds. Now, shepherds are people who have a flock of sheep. That's the literal uh, expression of shepherding. But in the Bible, it's used to talk about spiritual leadership, that spiritual leaders are shepherds of a flock. Spiritual leaders have a responsibility to a group of people, not, not sheep, but people, and they have the responsibility to feed them, to lead them, to protect them, to care for them. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, God says, woe to you worthless shepherds. And he's looking at the flock. God is speaking and he's saying, my flock has been scattered and injured and, and malnourished. And you shepherds, you've fattened yourselves while the flock is suffering. You've not gone after the wandering. You've not bound up the injured. You've not rebuked the abusive. You've allowed for all of this to happen under your care. That's one of the reasons why I don't like that chapter, because it speaks to pastors. It speaks to shepherds. It speaks to people like me. And it's often had a, a pretty humbling effect on me, including very recently. But here it's saying that one of the reasons why Jesus has compassion on them is because he sees their condition, that they're harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're not being well cared for. And so God, in Ezekiel chapter 33, he says, listen, if the, if the shepherds won't do it, I will. I'll come in and I'll gather the scattered and I'll bind up the wounded and I'll feed the hungry and I'll look after the, the injured. I'll do all these things for their sake. But listen, God wants us to be a caring community. And he wants us to be the kind of place where people can experience that care. Now, in the little illustration that Tony Payne and Colin Marshall gave in The Trellis and the Vine, one of the things that they pointed out was 120 people can't be the responsibility of one individual. If you're going through a pandemic and you've got 120 people, you can't expect one pastor to accomplish the span of care that's required. So one of the things that we have to do, and this has been our aim, we have to expand the scope of care. We have to figure out how to take the, the shepherding ministry of the church, the caring ministry of the, the church, and make it available to more and more people. And here's what that means. This isn't all on me. A lot of it is, but, but it's also on you. We as a church family have to get really, really proficient at caring for each other. We have to be willing to figure out how can we get into each other's lives and how can we know what's going on and how can we pray for each other and how can we support and, and encourage each other in this season. But Jesus is looking at us and he's looking at this world and he's, he's responding with compassion. So how can we increase our compassion? Very quickly, we can take inventory. In verse 37, he says, look at this. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Take, it, take inventory. Just observe. There's a need here. And secondly, we can grow our compassion by praying. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. We can start today. Notice that there's a world that desperately needs care and then begin praying about it and see if God has a plan for it that maybe involves you. All right, here's the third feature of Christ's ministry and the one that's dear to me and important to our church family. It's the feature of discipleship. 
Jesus wants to make disciples. He wants people to become followers of him. He wants them to understand who he is and what he's done. And so, one of the aspects of his ministry is to teach people what that looks like. We might call it, we, we, we might call discipleship this. It is the way of Christ. It's teaching people the way of Christ. There is a God. There's a way to live in harmony with him. We have an obligation then to try to do something to help people come to that understanding. Now, the pandemic, um, in my opinion, and I'm just being brutally honest with you, what the pandemic has done, along with all the other layers of societal unrest, what I think it's done, for me at least, is it's shown me a discipleship deficiency. Meaning, if Jesus wants to make disciples, discipleship actually touches down in every aspect of life. And so it should inform your attitude. It should inform how you deal with criticism. It should inform how you deal with disagreements. It ought to inform the way in which you, as we've already mentioned, work and relate and neighbor and do all these different activities. But here's what I noticed as I observed uh, everything unfold. We have a deficiency in our discipleship. There are areas of our lives that have not been touched by the way of Jesus. And in fact, it was so devastating for me in the midst of the pandemic that, that there was a day where I was laying on the ground and could not get up. As I was thinking about our church family and some of the issues that we were going through and the lack of discipleship in specific areas, I was discouraged. And I'm grateful to God that he has given me renewed strength and energy and passion. But one of the things that we have to be about is helping people follow Jesus in every aspect of life the way of Jesus in everything. So, how does Jesus do it here? Well, he devotes himself to a public ministry of preaching and teaching. Look at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. One of the things that will help us along in making disciples is to allow for the preaching and teaching ministry of the church to thrive. We have to figure out ways to make sure that that is happening. Why does he devote himself to the preaching and teaching ministry? I mean, he had a very short public ministry. Why was it so important to him that he engaged in this public proclamation of the gospel and its implications? And the reason why I think is obvious. What people need is a knowledge of God. What people need is an awareness of who God is and what what God expects from them. And the best way to accomplish that is to proclaim the God who is, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to announce that Jesus himself is the inbreaking of, of the kingdom of God, and then to engage in a significant teaching ministry to help connect the dots between that reality and every detail of our lives. And so we need this teaching ministry. Jesus devoted himself to it. Now, there is a day coming where I'll be out of work. It's called heaven. I won't have to teach people about God because they will know him. Habakkuk, one of the prophets, speaks of it in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's a day coming where knowledge of God will be prevalent. But what should we be doing in the meantime? What do we need to be doing in the meantime? We need to be making disciples, 
teaching and preaching and making God known to all peoples everywhere. And then gathering ourselves together in whatever format is most appropriate and figuring out how can we grow as disciples? What areas of my life need conforming to the image of Christ? And we need this teaching ministry. Well, these three different aspects, I think, are very dear to the heart of Jesus himself, and they're very dear to my heart as well. And I want our church to be exceptional at mission, at care, and at disciple-making for the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would please help us. We pray, Lord, that we would become a community that's doing life on mission. That you would help us to embrace this incredible way of Jesus and that you would help us to even reconsider today. I know many of us kind of come in with this mindset that church is just an event that we attend. And would you flip the script and help us to see that you're using these moments of gathering for the sake of deploying us. That you want to give us your authority and your spirit and your ministry and you want to place that in our laps and say, okay, now you go and do likewise. You've seen me do it. Now you go do it. And then would you give us gospel confidence that you're going to carry us through those moments. That you're going to help us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. Help us to do that, please, Lord. We pray that we would enlarge our hearts, that we would be people who legitimately care, that we can't help but respond to brokenness with compassion. And when we see a need, we're, we're just devastated by it. But then we also recognize that we can do something about it. Help us to be a caring community. And Lord, help us to make disciples. Help us to teach and preach in a way that helps people to know the God who really is and what it looks like to walk in obedience to him. So we need your help, Lord. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.